Uh, thank you for that, Andrew and ladies. Good morning, everyone. Nice to see everyone out today. If you join us online, sorry we got the stream started a few minutes late. Hopefully you found us and are joining us in. Let us know. We uh, sacrificed a little bit of visual acuity for hopefully more consistent streams. So let us know if it's still watchable and if there's work, things are working. We're still trying to work through some technical issues. So uh, any feedback you have would be uh, helpful. Um, we are going to be continuing our study this morning in the Gospel according to Luke. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 9. And in a moment, we'll be starting reading in uh, verse 7. Um, I saw recently this past week that uh, someone had a clickbait title about snow in North Carolina. Anybody else get that in their feed? Snow in North Carolina. Yeah, of course, it's not going to be here. It's not going to be anytime soon. But, you know, anything to get you to click. And uh, so I look forward to cooler weather and winter weather eventually, but as we were singing the song, you know, the Bible tells us that oh, our sins are, are stains like scarlet. Um, Jesus washes them white as snow. And if we see a freshly fallen snow that blank is a place, it's just pure white. You see nothing, no trace of um, dirt or filth or any such thing. And um, that's how Jesus washes us when we come to Him in salvation. Um, it's a blessing to, to know that. Um, Hopefully I don't lose everybody here. Some of you know I'm a bit of a science geek. Uh, I've studied science my whole life and uh, had a career in the scientific field for most of my life. Um, and uh, one of the most interesting things I always thought I wanted to learn was quantum physics. Anybody ever studied quantum physics? Audrey has. Okay, great. A um, little bit, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I first thought it was great because it was like the ultimate study, ultimate science. You know, everything else, you know, you know, we ask the question, well, why does it do that? Well, why does it do that? Well, you can't answer it in biology. You can't answer it in chemistry. Ultimately, physics is the one that's supposed to give you the answers. And when you get to why, 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 ultimately you have to go to quantum physics or, you know, because that's the only one that can really answer it. And so uh, I've since come to realize that I think quantum physics is kind of a joke. Sorry, any quantum physicists out there. It seems to me that the point of the study is to um, prove mathematically why everything that we know is true is not. Um, for example, you know, if we talk about touching this table, this desk. Quantum physics says I never actually touch it. I just get really, 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 really close to it. I'm touching it, okay? So fine, whatever you want to say. But as I study more, I was interesting that Einstein, of course, was the, the father of uh, modern physics and this kind of thing. And he's known for somebody under 16. What is he known for most? His theory of what? I heard somebody say it. Relativity. Ryan's feeling young today. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yes, the theory of general relativity. And uh, that is summarized in the equation E equals what? So, uh, someone who's in school? What? MC squared. Does anybody know what that means? Anybody know what E is? What? Energy. And what's M? Yes. And what is C? What? The speed of light, yes. So that's the fundamental boil down. It's the, the expanded equation is much greater than that. And we all take that for granted, right? That, oh, man, he was so great. He so figured it all out. But did you know that uh, he really couldn't make the equations work? Did you know that? He was stumped and couldn't get it to work. He had this eloquent, beautiful, complex equation that explained so much stuff. Explained gravity in ways we never even understood before. It explained the universe in ways we could. And it was so, it worked so well, except when you got down to the fundamental thing, it just didn't work. It was off by a lot. Okay? And so he, he added in a little 
little fudge factor. Okay, he called it lambda, Greek letter lambda. He had this equation and it was off. And it was off by like a factor of like 65% off. Okay, so if, he, you're, if we were, had something that was $100, and I said, well, I'll give you 33, Levi, how's that sound? Wouldn't take it, right? <laughs> no, they're off by a lot. Now, um, astronomically, it turns out to be, you know, he had to have a factor that was like 10 to the 50th or 60th in order to make it work. So he just threw in this lambda value. Oh, I'll just throw it, I'll just, I'll just throw it off by a factor of, you know, 10 to the 50th. And then it all works. But that just means it doesn't work, right? <laughs> because it'd be like me saying, you know, on a test I turned in and I say, oh, well, I didn't get the right answer, but I was only off by a factor of, you know, 100. So let me just add two zeros to the end and we'll call it. But no, the test is over. You know, no, it doesn't work that way. So Einstein's wonderful equation. We all love it. The physicists love it. They've studied it and everything. And, but he had to have something he couldn't explain. He had no rational basis for, no experimental basis for. It was just to make it work. So quantum physicists, I feel like, though they try to explain everything, ultimately they're just as pragmatic as the rest of us. Ultimately, they've got to make it work somehow or other. And so Einstein's you know, methodology was, hey, let's just throw in a little fudge factor, the cosmological constant, he calls it, and the value of lambda. We'll just throw that in there, and now everything works. Not very satisfying from a scientific standpoint, but an interesting idea. Um, sometimes the numbers just don't work. Sometimes things just aren't possible. Einstein could not make it. He spent his whole life working on it. At one point, he finally took out the lambda and tried to make it work without it. And then he went back in. It's been back in and out, in and out. And that's a whole other history lesson that I won't get into today. But the point I'm making is that sometimes it just won't work with what we've got. Everything that he had experimentally, everything he had mathematically, it just didn't work until he put in a huge adjustment factor called lambda, and he put it in there. And uh, so we're going to look at a factor today that makes things possible. And it's not lambda, but it is the Lamb of God. Because Jesus can make things possible where they don't make sense and they're not possible any other way. And so with that introduction, I invite you to stand. And uh, we may have the words on the screen. We've had some challenges this morning. So I invite you to have your Bible. If you don't, I mean, in case the screen doesn't work, I invite you to read with me. We'll be starting in verse 7, and we'll be reading down through verse 17. The Bible says, Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Verse 10. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. 
They said, uh, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. There were about 5,000 men. He said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> I've never done that before. I just tried to scroll my printed Bible page. <laughs> um, it's, it's not responding. I'm not sure. Let me just zoom in here a little. <laughs> Uh, funny how you develop habits. That's the first time I've ever done it. Anybody else ever done that? Am I the only one? Okay, I'm not the only one. Very good, very good. Nobody else uses print, print books anymore, Aaron. Just you and me, right? Otherwise, they'd be trying to, yeah, okay. <laughs> how about that? All right, so uh, we pick up where we have left off, of course, in Luke 9. Um, last week, we saw Jesus sent out um, the disciples and uh, said to them to, you know, gave them a charge you know, take nothing with you, um, stay where you let, stay where you um, go, and then if you're received, if you're not received, shake off the dust, and then come on back, and we'll uh, see how things go. So they went, they preached, they healed, mer amazing miracles, amazing ministry time. And uh, so word's getting around, of course, and so we see Herod. And this is not Herod of Jesus' birth, but this is Herod at Jesus' death. Um, the one to whom Pilate sent him um, in the trial, in the mock trial that happened uh, with Jesus. So this is that Herod. And so the Tetrarch, as he's entitled here, um, he heard about all that was happening. This is also Herod, of course, who had beheaded John the Baptist, as we read here. Um, so he hears what's happening in his, under his nose, as it were. And uh, he's a little bit perplexed because he's like, getting all these different reports about who, who is this and what's happening. And uh, so he, he's, he, he's really puzzled. He thinks, well, it can't be John. Can it? I don't think so. I mean, it can't be one of the prophets raised from the dead or Elijah. But if it could be one of them, then it could be this John guy. And he's not going to be very happy because um, I cut his head off. <laughs> so uh, I'm sure he's a little nervous. But he, bottom line, he sought to see him. He sought to see Jesus. He was curious. He wanted to know. Now, what do we think as far as his reasoning for seeing him? Was he wanting to hear his message and follow and learn and believe? Um, no, Jim says no. How do you know that, Jim? Because he's Herod. And we know that ultimately um, he then later tries to kill Jesus. Again, we read that later in Luke. We'll see that in a few chapters. And then ultimately he's uh, on trial. He uh, does not step in to aid him in any way, shape, or form. He just contributes to the uh, uh, mockery that was taking place of our Lord and Savior on, in that day, in that time of passion. So, yeah, this is not uh, any sort of... Um, transformative uh, desire to see Jesus. It's simply, uh, oh, I should probably know what's going on. I should probably be aware. I should probably learn a little something. And uh, there are a lot of people in our society today that, that know a little bit about Jesus. They, they, they know what the Bible says about him. They know something. And maybe they even study him sometimes just to be informed. Uh, but, you know, that's not, that's not how we're to come to him. Uh, we are to come to him in faith, believing his message. And what is his message? to repent, to take up our cross, to follow Him. 
to turn from our sin, to trust in Him for our salvation is the only one who can provide such. And so I hope none of us are here today as Herod was seeking Jesus. I hope we're here seeking Him as our Lord and Savior, seeking to know Him deeper, seeking to be more and more conformed to His image through the ministry of the gospel and the singing and the Holy Spirit working through us. So with that in mind, as we continue on to verse 10, we see that the, the apostles now are returning. And uh, so they were sent out uh, disciples, but now they return with this label apostles. I believe this is the first time they're called such. Um, those who were sent. You know, disciples a learner, an apostle is one who is sent. And so now they return, having been sent, and tell them all is done. And it's obviously they got lots of great news um, of what uh, the, the power of the gospel, the power of um, God going before them and working through them, accomplishing many uh, great deeds. And so Jesus recognizes that at this time it is time for a little break, right? And I think we see a, a healthy pattern here that, uh, you know, we should not try to, um, we're not made, we're not built to go 24-7, 365, okay? Um, I know that uh, I was reading uh, sometime recently back about uh, struggles in the uh, Chinese, in the country of China and their workforce. Now, there's not jobs for people coming out of school and people are going and working, working very, very hard to get prepared and they come out and they have this mindset. Anybody heard of the 996 mindset in China? Anybody heard of that? Yeah, you heard 996? Yeah, lots of working. It's 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. six days a week. That's their... Standard or goal, I'm not sure how high, if it's the low bar, if it's the high bar or the normal, but that's sort of, the, that's a thing over there, 996. You know, we talk about the 9 to 5 here, and that's like, oh, 9 to 5, five days a week, and that's a lot. Um, but uh, in China, you know, the, the, their goal is the 996, 12 hours a day, six days a week, 72 hours a week. Um, and... Uh, I'm not going to tell you what's, what's healthy or what's normal, but I definitely think that God gave us a pattern of a seven day, seventh day day of rest, and we know that the Sabbath was made for man. Um, the Bible tells us that clearly, that it was a gift for us. And uh, so I think it's, it's healthy and wise for us to recognize that. And uh, I'm not going to tell you how often or how long um, you should uh, pursue rest, but I think here we see Jesus following through on this. I don't think this is the Sabbath when they came, but it's time for a break. It's time for a rest. They've had a, a large push of ministry and in a new way, and um, they're excited, but they're probably are ready for a little bit of a break. And so Jesus has them withdraw, and they go to a town called Bethsaida. <clears throat> but I think we also see a lesson here that planning for rest is appropriate and healthy and something that we should do, but... If the needs of people and the opportunities of ministry um, get in the way of that, it's not something that we have to be so militant about um, defending that we can't make place for other people. Because we see in verse 11 that the crowds learned that they were learned it that they were going away to Bethsaida, they followed him. Now we can see two different things. We can see Jesus setting up some bouncers and saying, "Nope, they need a break." You know, guarding them essentially, saying, come back tomorrow, come back another time. 
You know, but is that what Jesus did? What does the Bible say Jesus did when they came to him? You can, you can look it up. You don't have to remember it. You can look. He welcomed them. He didn't tolerate them. Sorry, one second. He didn't tolerate them. He didn't put up with them. He welcomed them. He said, hey, you found me. Welcome. <laughs> now, I don't know that the disciples welcomed him. It doesn't say that they all welcomed them. So maybe they were a little less uh, uh, magnanimous about it. Maybe they were a little more disappointed that their vacation got canceled. You know, no R&R this weekend or whatever it was. Uh, but we see Jesus' example is that the people were there and they were needed people. They needed to hear the kingdom of God. He spoke to them of the kingdom of God. He cured those who had need of healing. There were people who had needs that came to him. And so <clears throat> pushed on through, welcomed them, cared enough about them to put off his time of rest you know, to meet the immediate needs of these folks who were there. So what am I saying? I'm saying it's, it's a balance. I'm saying that, you know, planning for rest is important, but if God puts you in a place where you're not able to get that rest, I think of moms, you know, who, you know, you, you, you can't take a, a, <laughs> you took a day off completely. <laughs> where would we be? Dads, <laughs> it would be ugly, right? If mom just said, we're just taking a day off every week, we're going to have one day where we're doing nothing. The Bible says I need a day of rest. No cooking, no cleaning, no taking care of the kids, no watching them. Y'all just manage. Whew. That would be a rough way to live for us. And unfortunately, um, I know my wife and most of the wives that I know here um, have a heart to, to be as Jesus did, to welcome their family, even on those days of rest. So... There's principles here. The application will be, I'll leave to you. But the principles are that we should plan for rest. We should make that a part of our rhythms and our daily, our weekly, regular times. I'm going to say daily, weekly, regularly, but it should be a time where we recognize that we can't go constantly. I'll say you can't, it's not, I'll, I'll say there's two extremes. I can say definitely, I can definitely say these are not biblical principles. One, we shouldn't rest 24-7. Okay, and we should probably rest more than one weekend a month at a retreat. I mean, one weekend a year at a retreat. Okay, so those are extremes I can definitely say are, are probably not healthy, and I don't think are in line with, this, with the biblical teaching. Where that falls for you guys, work with your family, pray, seek the, you know, let's, let's talk about it. You know, it's offline sometime and see. But I think that uh, that's what I wanted to impress from these is that we should pursue rest, but not um, to the... Um, extreme that we refuse to meet immediate needs that come up in the midst of that rest time. So continuing on verse 12, we see the day began to wear away and the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging, get provisions. We're here in a desolate, in a desolate place. You know, people can, can and read into whatever they want to. I don't know if it was because the disciples were tired and said, listen, I'm, you, you take care of the people, you did all this stuff, but they got to go. We need a break. Or if it was a serious, um, a genuine you know, desire for their well-being that, listen, it's getting late. We got nothing to feed them. They got no place to stay. It's probably time to wrap up and get them, get them moving back home or at least somewhere nearby that they can stay. I don't know what their intentions were. The Bible doesn't tell us here. Um, I tend to think that you know, these are the, the 12 who are with Jesus. They're following his example. I tend to think that it may have been a little bit of both. <laughs> that, uh, oh, whew, 
It is finally about time to send these folks away. We got to send them away for their own good and for ours. <laughs> um, but that's the plan. So here we see a, uh, an interesting response. Um, you know, not, not what I would expect it. If we were watching a movie, I'd say, okay, Jesus is going to send them away. Yeah, okay, about time. Then what's going to happen? But we don't see that. We see a twist in which verse 13, but he said to them, well, give them something to eat. Give them something to eat. Well, they don't say no, okay? But they do start describing the reasons that it's going to, the challenges that they're facing. Uh, we only have a little bit of food, okay? Five loaves, two fish. Um, I mean, I guess we could go buy food for all these people. But in the other Gospels, we see that they don't have enough money in their account, <laughs> in their uh, little disciple account or whatever. They don't have enough money to feed all these people. It would cost a lot of money because there's thousands of people, 5,000 men, and they probably weren't alone, most of them. So probably at least double that. But it's thousands and thousands of people. I know when we you know, try to provide you know, food for a meal for just 50 people, it's expensive. It adds up quickly. I know if you take your family out to eat, you know, four, five, six, seven people, you know food's expensive. And they didn't. Have, they couldn't have. I, I'm, I am convinced that this event did not take place on the Sabbath, because if it had not been Sunday, they probably just would have gone to Chick Fil A and everything would have been fine. So it, it, could, it must have been closed on Sunday. But um, we don't know. You know, in their minds, what what options would they have had? That's what I said. You know, they must have had it must have happened on a Sunday because Chick Fil A was closed. Did I say that backwards? It had to have been on a Sunday because otherwise they would have gone to Chick Fil A, right? Um, so we see Jesus gives them instructions, and then they say, "What well, we can't," and he doesn't chew them out. He he says, "I think he's bring, asking, giving them this instruction to let them realize, well, we can't do what you've asked us to do. There's no possible way." I mean, we got a few pieces of food. We, we, we extorted from this little kid, you know. And other guys, we know that a lunch, the boy brought his lunch. I don't know if they pulled the, the crowd as a whole and say, hey, you make any food? We might have a little potluck, you know. And one guy gave up his lunch, and that was it. Um, but somehow they, they acquired these, this small bit of food, and they said, look, the numbers just don't add up. There's just no possible way. I mean, I, I, we're willing to. I'm not saying no, but we don't have enough here. Uh, we, maybe we could buy food, but we don't have money to buy food. I don't think you want us to go steal the food. <laughs> so uh, we're at a loss here. So Jesus steps in, and uh, just like that lambda factor in the general relativity equation, Jesus steps in to make everything possible. So he just says, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. You know, I'm sure you know, those who are big into numerology, the study of numbers, would probably have some significance around 50, but I don't think it was anything significant. Just a nice round number, big groups of people, make the e-counting of it easier. And uh, I think that when we pursue ministry, it should be done in a decent and orderly manner. Uh, I think we should organize and plan. I think there's value to that. Um, and I think we see uh, an, an attempt here that Jesus says, hey, let's do it in an orderly manner. And then the important thing is, verse 15, they did so. Had them all sit down. The disciples said, okay. Well, I don't know what's going to happen, but he said to have them sit down. So we're going to step out in faith. This has been a theme of the last uh, several sermons that uh, 
acting in faith. So they don't know what's going to happen. They know they don't have enough food, but they trust Jesus enough to follow his instructions, his explicit instructions, have them sit down. So they did so. Um, then, of course, we understand the rest of the story. Jesus takes the loaves, looks up to heaven, says blessing over them, and breaks the loaves, gives them to disciples, and they set it before the crowd, and they all eat and are filled. Okay, It's not like our, you know, sometimes we have a, a weak potluck where not everybody's filled. And they're like, oh, I wanted some of that. It's all gone. Uh, should have been quicker. I'll have to rush to the front. I have to bring a visitor next time so I can get in the front of the line. Right? So uh, none of that. Everybody was full. Everybody was filled. I'm often wondering about the logistics of this. How did that happen? Did Jesus, like, set his set the lunch down behind the table and, you know, just kept pulling it out? Or yeah, I don't know what happened. I always wonder about the logistics. Anybody else wonder about how that actually worked out, you know? And, um, all right, here, take that. Come back when you're, come back when that one's empty. All right, take, you know, and then they, they have a little plate and again, and, and they, I don't know. But uh, we don't know how the logistics of it worked. But uh, we know that he just kept distributing food, kept distributing food until all these thousands of people ate and were full. And there was none of this, well, it's the last piece. Oh, I probably shouldn't take it. No, no, take all you want. Take all you want. Really? Yeah. Have some more. Well, I'm, not, I'm getting kind of full. I'll take it. You might eat it. Okay. And they took it, and then they didn't eat it. Okay, we'll take up the baskets. So how much they start with? One bag full. And how much they end up with? Twelve baskets full left over. And uh, so it was, a, it, was, it was an amazing miracle, um, a creative miracle. Jesus created this food out of nothing, essentially. Um, I know that... Uh, my mom, growing up, we didn't have a lot of money, and so she was very creative. She could make a can of beans and a potato and something go very, very far. You know, she could make a little bit of food go to feed us all, and we were full. But this stretches the limits of any of the most creative cooks out there uh, to do that. So, I mean, if there had been 50 people... Okay, maybe we thought, oh, maybe Jesus, Jesus just made a fish stew that was really filling and maybe he pounded some grass and herbs or something and somehow everybody had a little bit to eat. But no, this was thousands of people from a little bit. No room for any explanation except for the Jesus factor. You know, he stepped in and made something possible where there was no possible way. There was, there was impossible to feed those. With man is impossible. With God, all things are possible. And uh, so that's, that's the, the big message of today, that we see this. And, you know, there are lessons we can draw from this, applications we can draw from this, of course. Um, you know, people today are hungry. Um, they're, they're seeking for things, and they don't even know what they're seeking for sometimes. But they're, they're hungry, and they don't have anything within themselves. And there are a lot of people offering um, things to satisfy people's hunger. You know, it might be um, some churches offer ceremonies, empty rituals and things like that. There are some uh, media companies that offer, you know, bright lights, sounds, distractions. There are many uh, sporting organizations that offer the same, you know, things just to sort of distract people from their, their real hunger. And uh, it's not going to satisfy. Um, some even try to convince them that they're not really hungry. Oh, you don't have any needs. You're just, you know, because there is nothing outside of this life. Just take care of your immediate, natural, physical person. And then once you're dead, you just worm food and that's it. 
Um, there is, you, you have these, this internal question about who am I? Where did I get here? Is there a God? Don't, don't, even answer, don't even ask those questions. You're not really hungry in that sense. Just, you know, some people will try to discourage people that way, but only Jesus offers the bread of life that will satisfy um, the need that every person has. I think of if we were going to feed thousands of people, you know, we'll just think about just feeding when we try to feed 50 people. What's the most efficient way for us to feed everybody? How do we typically have everyone get their food here? A buffet. That's the easiest way. Just set all the food out. Y'all go get it. You know, I think for thousands of people, it probably would have been easier too. Jesus could have just set out the, the baskets. All right, y'all come on and get it. The disciples could have been first, been sitting there eating everything done. But it's interesting that Jesus didn't meet their need that way. It would be a lot, it would take a lot longer if every time we have a potluck, Brian and I went and did, you know, full table service for every table. It would take a lot longer, wouldn't it? Go back and get here. Go, Jim, what do you want? Okay, you want some of that? Okay, let me get your order. Okay, be right back. And I go get it. And I get his plate. And yeah, I bring it up to here. There you go. Hope you enjoy. And I just go, that would take forever. But that's how Jesus did it. Do you think they hadn't invented buffets back then? I bet they had. I bet they had big spreads. I mean, that's just the obvious way of feeding large groups of people. So I bet they had figured out buffets. Um, but maybe they hadn't. Um, you could be right. You can do some research and let me know when the buffet was invented. Okay? Yeah, I'd like to know that. What I see, though, is that when Jesus met these folks' needs, He did it through the disciples, through His apostles, through the hands and feet of those people who were His followers. You know, Each person there, each of those thousands of people had an interaction with one of Jesus' followers with the disciple, with the apostle. Each one of them had a face-to-face interaction. It wasn't long, but each of them had a face-to-face interaction. You know, but, and I think that's important. I think that's how God wants it to be done. You know, we give out free Bibles. Wouldn't it be easier if we just kind of went to the park and put up a little stand, take one, free Bibles, right? Like you do on Halloween, you know, you set the little bowl out on the porch. Hey, take a piece of candy, and then you don't have to mess with anybody. Lock your door, leave the light on, and oh, candy's gone, all right, turn off the light, and we're done. Wouldn't it be great if we did our free Bibles that way? Just set them up. We could set it up like all day long. We wouldn't have, you know, wouldn't just be limited to an hour. Here you go, have a free Bible, and then, hey, we did our job. We just leave it up all week. We'll find a place and just set up a display. Maybe we can set one up over here in the lobby. Free Bibles. And then we've done our deal, right? And then we can just check that box and move on. Does that sound good? Hey, there's nothing wrong with having a stand where someone can get a free Bible. But that's never going to take the place of a face-to-face offering a Bible to someone, asking them if they've ever had it, asking them if they know what it's about, asking if we can pray for them, sharing the gospel face-to-face. That's how ministry is done. Okay? Now, technology is great. We can send emails. We can post videos that someone can watch years from now. And we do those things. But those things are never going to take the place of face-to-face ministering of the gospel. So let's don't ever rely, let's don't ever let those tools make us lazy. Um, let's continue to be faithful in delivering the gospel to people when we have opportunity. Not just at our designated times of the church, but throughout the, our daily life. As we have opportunity, we come across hungry people all the time. And we need to be faithful in offering them, you know. The other thing is they didn't force the food on anybody. 
you know. I don't know. I don't think, you know, there was a lot of dietary restrictions back then. I think that uh, food was probably a lot cleaner in general, but I think the food was also a lot more scarce, so people took what they had, took what they were given generally. Um, but uh, they didn't force it on them. They allowed people to take as they, um, as they desired, and they ate until they were satisfied. Um, they didn't uh, force it on them in any way, shape, or form. Um, but they did have that face-to-face -face interaction with each one. So the, the lesson for today is, is simple. It's straightforward. Um, it's not uh, complicated or hard to understand. But sometimes we want to make it hard. Sometimes we want to think, so what's the, what's the application for us? That we need to obey Jesus, you know? Um, what we have to offer often seems insignificant, and next to Him it would be. You know, if we look at our ability and our means to contribute to the gospel work compared to His, it would be even greater than the discrepancy between Einstein's equation and the cosmological constant. It'd be even greater disparity than that. Okay? But Jesus invites us to ministry, calls us to do that. And that is the Christian life, is obeying Jesus in faith. Now, I like to always, sometimes, I, not always, but I often like to imagine myself in these events. What would I do if I was there? What would I do if I was one of those disciples? And I think, you know, okay, Jesus, he's not chewing us out and not saying, oh, you little faith. He's just saying, all right, just have him sit down. What's going to happen? Is there going to be, oh, man, this is going to be good. You know, we're here. Is there going to be like manna from heaven, like in the Old Testament, falling down? Are we going to see something amazing? Are we going to see like a flock of quail come over and, you know, you know, a massive, you know, flock come down and then we're going to feed them all? What was, what's going to, is it going to be something amazing? Oh, is it going to be a giant barbecue pit's going to open up out of the ground and we're going to see where all this uh, uh, meat has been cooked naturally? And what, what sort of amazing thing is going to happen? And I, I think that a lot of times the, uh, a little bit of the attitude creeps in. That today we want, oh, well, yeah, we want to obey Jesus. We want to obey Him. I want something exciting. What ex I want something exciting to do in my life. But what did Jesus tell these disciples to do? Have them sit down. Okay, have them sit down. <laughs> it's going to be good. We don't want to fall over from, this, from a, the amazement when this thing happens. So everybody sit down. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. Something good. It's going to be good. I don't know what it is, but something's about to happen. He said, all right, take this food. Okay, I'll take this plate. Then what's going to happen? You can come back and give you some more. You're going to take that food. Oh, so I'm just going to walk over. There you go. This is it? This is it? I just like taking one plate at a time? Well, that's not very exciting. Right? You, anybody might have been a little disappointed in the simplicity of this miracle? I mean, in a Jew, I, yeah, I would have been. I mean, in, you know, where they read stories of Moses stretching out his staff and the water of the Red Sea parting. Well, we want something like that. Right? We want something amazing, you know. Um, but no, it's just a simple thing. Just take the food and give it to the person. 
and then come back, get some more food, and take it to the next person. And we're just going to keep doing that. And everybody's needs are going to be met. What? Maybe so. Yeah, here we are all starving near to death. And <laughs> we'd just be mentioned sooner. We probably could have been eating already. Maybe so. So church, I want us to never get tired of the normalcy of Christian living. Okay? Sometimes we want to do something exciting. Well, the fact is God's doing exciting things. But He often does it through mundane steps and means. And, you know, I mean, the, 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 the examples that we have in Scripture, they're not normative or instructive for us to be able to do these amazing miracles, to raise people from the dead. You know, those were examples given to us to confirm the, the identity of Jesus Christ, okay, to reveal the power of God, okay? Um, these were the, the, the purpose of them. But most of the time in our daily living and our following out, Jesus is going to do amazing things, but it's through very ordinary steps and means. So what's our duty? What was the disciples' duty? Overall, what? Obey. Who said that? Yeah, to obey God. It was a simple instruction. Have him sit down. Now take this to him. And what are we instructed to do? Obey. Mundane things. You know, like pray without ceasing. Okay? Children, obey your parents. Well, that doesn't sound very exciting or amazing, but that's... that's that's an important thing. That's how God works. That's how God advances the kingdom. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. I need something exciting to do. That's exciting. That's the ministry of the gospel. It's the ministry of Christ. It's not supernatural. It's not like mind-blowing CGI cinematic effects from the Marvel Universe. But it's transformative in the lives that we touch. It's transformative in our own life as we submit to these instructions of Jesus and carry out and are faithful in walking out these simple tasks, these simple things. To when Jesus tells us to abide in me, to spend time with Him, to renew our minds through the washing of the Word. These things we could do every day, these things we are called to do every day, that we must do every day that none of them individually might even seem to matter at times, but they do matter. And you keep doing these things, we keep doing these things, and just like the disciples kept giving them, and next thing you know, this whole group of 50 people is fed. Oh, wow, we just fed 50 people. You look back and you say, what? how did Jesus do that? Hey, I was a part of that, but I didn't do anything amazing. I just... Kept giving food to one guy, and then the next guy, and then little kids, and then the wives. And the, that's all I did. But look what God accomplished through that. We get 50 people. Hey, here's another group of 50. I bet they're going to get fed too. And then as we begin to see what God is doing through our faithfulness and through His faithfulness, then we can get excited. And sometimes it's only by looking back that we see those things. You know, I know as a parent, sometimes the day-to-day -day of parenting is hard 
And, you know, one of the instructions I'm given is to not provoke my children to wrath. And sometimes that's hard. And uh, but I try to walk that out. And I think but it's not making any difference. It's not accomplishing anything. It's not working out. You know, what is this? I'm, you know, I'm trying to do as best I can, but I'm not very good at it. And it doesn't seem to be working. But then you step back and you've got a 22-year-old son who's serving the Lord and leading his family and establishing his household of his own. And you're like, well, God really did something with my, my pitiful efforts. And so we, ha we have encouragement times like that that encourage us to keep being, keep being faithful in what we're doing. So that's what I offer you this morning, church, is encouraging. Don't become weary in well-doing. For in the end, we will reap if we, do, if we faint not. We can't do it in our own strength, but it's a simple process of following Jesus and obeying Him. So as we transition into our time of communion and the Lord's Supper, um, we're going to take the bread and juice as we always do, but I, I just want to offer a time for us to reflect, to examine ourselves, to reflect on these words, and uh, to offer, if anyone would like to confess something to the Lord, this is the time for you to do that, to examine yourself, to ask Him for um, a peace and a patience, to persevere in the normal things of daily living, the normal things of ministry, the normal things of, of life. None of us do these things perfectly, but that's part of the normalcy is constant correction, constant adjustment. We fall off the tracks, we get back up and go again. Okay, We don't say, oh, I'm a, I'm a miserable failure. I messed up one time. I'm never, I, forget it. Okay, Some of you may have heard yesterday, um, Anna had a little car accident, and uh, she was really upset when it happened. I was talking to her on the phone, she's really upset. I'm embarrassed her now, I apologize. But Anna's not going to never get behind the wheel of a car again. She's going to say, well, what did I learn from this? And she'll be a better driver because of what happened yesterday. She's learned a lesson and that you can't learn in a reading in a book. You know, I told her yesterday, I said, there's two kinds of drivers, those who have had an accident and those who are due for an accident. <laughs> you drive long enough, everybody's going to be involved in an accident. But the point is to grow from those things, to, even those negative experiences, to grow from. I'm sorry, sweetheart. I should have asked you if I could do that. I'm sure I'll pay a price later. <laughs> Thank the Lord that uh, no one was hurt. And uh, so we're thankful for His mercies there. But the point is that, hey, you may have a, you're not going to do everything perfectly every time. But it's times like these that God through His Word, through the preaching of His words, through His Holy Spirit, can reveal things that we need to correct and course correct. And when we come to Him and say, I've messed up, He's going to welcome us just like He did those people. He's not going to say, I don't have time for you right now. I've heard this before. You know, you said that before. No, He's going to say, welcome. And He's going to provide healing like He did for those people who came to Him. So we should never let our failures keep us from coming back to Jesus. He, as... Because He came and lived as a man, took on flesh, was tempted in every way such as we are, we have a high priest who understands our weaknesses and understands that, that we are going to fall. And so our job is to, when we, when we realize that, to confess and to come return to Him 
and uh, not be sidelined, not throw in the towel, but to constantly work to be more and more like Jesus and let Him work on in and through us.